Hello everyone and welcome to the January 23rd edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skern and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. McKesson Corporation, one of the nation's largest distributors of pharmaceutical drugs, agreed to pay a record $150 million civil penalty for alleged violations of the Controlled Substances Act. The nationwide settlement requires McKesson to suspend sales of controlled substances from distribution centers in Colorado, Ohio, Michigan, and Florida for multiple years. The stage suspensions are among the most severe sanctions ever agreed to by a DEA-registered distributor. The settlement also imposes new and enhanced compliance obligations on McKesson's distribution system. Back in 2008, McKesson agreed to a $13.25 million civil penalty and administrative agreement for similar violations. In this new case, the government again alleged that McKesson failed to design and implement an effective system to detect and report suspicious orders for controlled substances distributed to its independent and small-chain pharmacy customers. Suspicious orders are orders that are unusual in their frequency, size, or other patterns. The government's investigation developed evidence that even after designing a compliance program after the 2008 settlement, McKesson did not fully implement or adhere to its own program. In Colorado, for example, McKesson processed more than 1.6 million orders for controlled substances, but reported just 16 orders as suspicious. In addition to the $150 million civil penalty, McKesson has now agreed to specific, rigorous staffing and organizational improvements, periodic auditing, and stipulated financial penalties for failing to adhere to new compliance terms. The settlement will require McKesson to engage an independent monitor to assess compliance, the first independent monitor of its kind in CSA civil penalty settlements. This was a multi-district investigation that involved several DEA field divisions, including the San Francisco Field Division. Several U.S. Attorney's offices participated in the case, including the Central and Eastern Districts of California. This is the second recent federal case against a drug distributor for failing to report suspicious orders in less than a month. Last December, a drug distributor owned by Cardinal Health Incorporated agreed to pay $10 million to resolve claims it failed to alert the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration of suspiciously large orders of addictive painkillers by New York area pharmacies. The settlement came after a DEA investigation of pharmacies that had ordered unusually large and frequent shipments of oxycodone or hydrocodone. The distributor ignored numerous red flags and did not report any suspicious orders to the DEA despite requirements that it do so. And now our crime report. The DIR has announced it has stayed more than 200,000 liens worth a combined claim value of more than $1 billion. The liens are associated with 75 medical providers facing criminal fraud charges. The DIR's stay order were triggered by two new laws effective this January. 
SB 1160 requires the DIR to automatically stay liens owned by providers who have been indicted or charged with crimes until the disposition of criminal proceedings. And AB 1244 requires the DWC Administrative Director to suspend any medical provider from participating in the workers' compensation system when convicted of fraud. The DWC has now adopted provider suspension regulations and is issuing notices of suspension to convicted providers. The DIR and the Department of Insurance convened working groups last June to gather stakeholder input and evidence of fraudulent activity. The participants offered a variety of observations on factors that facilitate fraud and strategies to combat it. The DIR prepared a report on further recommendations to the governor and the legislature. The proposed solutions included not only statutory and regulatory fixes, but also better enforcement of existing rules and procedural requirements. The report notes that a lien filer's ability to get one foot inside the courthouse door creates tremendous pressure on the insurer to pay something in settlement, rather than taking on the expense of fighting or disproving a clearly invalid claim. A recent internal analysis showed that 10% of the state's lien filers were responsible for 75% of the lien claims filed between 2013 and 2015. The top 1%, comprising 68 businesses, filed more than 273,000 liens, totaling $2.5 billion, and included five individuals who were being prosecuted or had already pled guilty to fraud. The DIR's ongoing work to combat workers' compensation fraud includes the creation of an anti-fraud support unit to share and track data from system participants. The department contracted with the RAND Corporation for an independent evaluation and recommendations, including a review of fraud detection in other federal and state health care programs. The study, currently in peer review, is slated for release this spring. The Santa Barbara County District Attorney announced the release of a public service announcement as part of the District Attorney's Office Anti-Workers' Compensation Fraud Program. This public service announcement comes at no cost to Santa Barbara County. It was created by the Santa Barbara County District Attorney's Office in an effort to reduce payouts for fraudulent workers' compensation claims in their county. The 32nd public service announcement will be broadcast throughout Santa Barbara. Officials say the purpose of this PSA is to raise awareness about workers' compensation fraud, its impact on all of our lives, and how to report a potential violation. Workers' compensation fraud is an escalating statewide problem which includes fraudulent claims by workers, medical providers, and fraud committed by employers who fail to provide workers' compensation insurance. Further, workers' compensation fraud has had an impact on our local governmental and nonprofit agencies, as well as small businesses and individuals. All of the costs associated with the production and presentation of this public service announcement came from grant funding from the State of California under the guidance of the California Department of Insurance and the Workers' Compensation Fraud Assessment Commission. And in regulatory news, 
The DWC Acting Administrative Director has appointed Deborah A. Whitcomb, a workers' compensation administrative law judge at the Stockton DWC District Office, to serve as a member of the Workers' Compensation Ethics Advisory Committee. Judge Whitcomb will fill the position previously held by Administrative Law Judge, replacing Tim Haxton. The Ethics Advisory Committee was established in 1995 to review all ethics complaints from the public against workers' compensation administrative law judges. The committee reviews all complaints without learning the names of the complainants or the judges. It then makes recommendations to the Administrative Director and the DWC Court Administrator. The committee meets quarterly and members serve without compensation. The regulation provides that the committee must include three members of the public representing organized labor, insurers, and self-insured employers, and an applicant's and defense attorney, a presiding judge, a workers' compensation administrative law judge or retired judge, and two members of the public outside the workers' compensation community. A judicial, judicial ethics complaint form and instructions can be found on the DWC website. And in medical news, President Donald Trump said that pharmaceutical companies are getting away with murder in what they charge the government for medicines, and he promised that would change. Trump's campaign platform, including allowing the Medicare health care program to negotiate with pharmaceutical companies, which the law currently prohibits. He has also discussed making it easier to import drugs at cheaper prices. President Trump said the government is going to start bidding and going to save billions of dollars over time. The drug industry has been on edge for two years about the potential for more governmental pressure on pricing, after sharp increases in the cost of some life-saving drugs drew scrutiny in the press and among lawmakers. The government is investigating Medicaid and Medicare overspending on Myeland NV's allergy treatment EpiPen, for instance. Medicare, which covers more than 55 million elderly or disabled Americans, spent $325 billion on medicines in 2015. The Industry Trade Group, Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, also known as Pharma, its president claimed, however, that medicines are purchased in a competitive marketplace where large, sophisticated purchasers aggressively negotiate lower prices. He said the industry is committed to working with President Trump and Congress to improve American competitiveness and protect American jobs. But the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, did not quite seem to be on board with the Trump agenda. He said that he wants to have more conversations about Trump's efforts to crack down on big pharma corruption before the president does so. Ryan claims that the current premium support system with Part D works extremely well. Yet Democrats seem to be urging Trump to move forward. Senators Sherrod Brown and Al Franken and 17 other Democrats sent a letter to President Trump last month urging him to prioritize prescription drug price reform and saying that Senate Democrats are standing by to partner with his administration. Valiant Pharmaceuticals is once again in the spotlight for price gouging with generic drugs. 
the saga of Flint, Michigan, where residents suddenly found themselves drinking lead-poisoned tap water, sets the stage for yet another pharmaceutical industry scandal. As the Flint water crisis unfolded, one notorious pharmaceutical company saw a chance to cash in. Valiant Pharmaceuticals raised the price of a drug used to treat lead poisoning by 2,700% after acquiring the drug in 2013. Before Valiant took control, the list price for a package of vials had been stable at $950. But in January 2014, Valiant boosted the price to $7,116. And then by December 2014, several more increases took the price to $26,927. Thus, by 2015, as the issue of lead poisoning became prominent news, after the price of a package of vials rose from $950 to $26,927. This intravenous treatment called calcium EDTA has been available for decades at a stable price and is the most effective for severe and life-threatening cases of lead poisoning. The dramatic price increase has drawn the ire of poison control specialists and hospitals since it began. The problem is the drug does not have a long shelf life and is not needed in large quantities since severe lead poisoning is relatively uncommon. This is precisely the excuse Valiant gives for its egregious price hikes. A company spokesman said that the list price increases over the past several years have enabled the company to provide to the market consistent availability of a product with high carrying costs and very limited purchase volume of 200 to 300 units per year. The greed of Valiant Pharmaceuticals, which does little more than buy up other pharma companies and raise drug prices, was celebrated by Wall Street for two years until an accounting scandal and congressional hearings began tarnishing its image. By the end of 2015, Valiant raised prices on a number of critical brand-name drugs by an average of 66%, five times as much as its closest industry peers. These included cupramine, a decades-old drug that treats an inherited disorder called Wilson's disease, and a diabetes drug called Glumetza. Valiant relies on insurance companies and government programs to shield most patients from skyrocketing costs. But this leads to higher premiums and co-payments, as well as an extra burden on taxpayers. Doctors have complained to federal officials about the astronomical price hikes for the lead poisoning drug and others acquired by Valiant. A new study published in the Journal of the American College of Surgeons claims that more aggressive malpractice climates do not necessarily protect patients from surgical complications. Yet supporters of medical malpractice laws that make it easier for patients to sue doctors say these protections are necessary to improve care. But in the current study, the risk of litigation did not translate into better outcomes. Rather, it may lead to defensive medicine practices where more tests and treatments are ordered unnecessarily just to try to minimize malpractice risk. Researchers examined state-specific data on medical malpractice insurance premiums 
average award size, and the number of claims for every 100 physicians in each state. During the study period, the average annual malpractice premium for general surgeons was roughly $47,000 a year. More aggressive malpractice laws and larger malpractice awards did not reduce patients' risk for any of the postoperative complications studied. And no individual state malpractice law was consistently associated with improved postoperative outcomes. Instead, in states where doctors faced greater risk from malpractice claims, patients were 22% more likely to develop sepsis, a potentially life-threatening bloodstream infection. Patients in states where doctors had the most litigation risk were also 9% more likely to develop pneumonia, 15% more likely to suffer acute kidney failure, and 18% more likely to have gastrointestinal bleeding. The results add to a growing body of evidence suggesting that tort reforms aren't associated with better outcomes. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.